Well, Melanie and I, the first stop in ministry from, for us after seminary and after school was a great little, ch- little church in the middle of Houston. It was a Bible church. And uh, during worship, we had one lady, and she was expressive in worship, which our church needed a little shot. We were kind of like the frozen chosen, and we needed a little shot of energy into our worship. And she happened to sit in the front row with her family. And as a youth guy, we sat further back with the students. And um, I remember one day, one day she was sitting in the front. She had young kids. Maybe they needed to be in kids' church. I don't know. Um, And she was singing with all of her heart, and she was raising her hands. She was like the only lady in our church that would raise her hands. And the young couple was behind her and trying to worship, and one of her daughters was acting up, like acting up, uh, moving around, very distracting for everyone. And you know when you're a young couple and you don't have kids, you know how to parent better than everybody else, right? And at one point, she's raising her hands, and she's singing, and she looks down, and she just pops her daughter on the back of the head with her left hand, still praising the Lord with her right hand, and her daughter sits down for a minute and is good just for a minute, and then she keeps, she comes back to it. The little girl comes back to it, and um, she's making a mess, and everybody in the back is watching this happen, and with her hands up again, this time she turns, and she, venom came out, I think, of her mouth because the daughter just sat down and just put her head between her hands. You know, some of you think the point of that story is don't sit in front or you're going to be a sermon illustration. Um, The point of that is that with the same mouth, we can bless our Lord in the same mouth. We can curse our fellow man who are made in the likeness of God. Listen to what the Bible says about the tongue. It says the tongue is wicked, it's deceitful, it's perverse, it's filthy, corrupt, flattering, slanderous, gossiping blasphemous, foolish, boasting, complaining, cursing, contentious, sensual, vile, and the list goes on and on about the tongue. We're going to talk this morning about tongue taming. Tongue taming. Because the quickest way for us to sin, one of the quickest ways for us to sin is with the tongue. It's immediate. There's a quote by a guy who said this, no wonder God put the tongue in a cage behind your teeth, walled in by the mouth. Anybody snap at someone in their family this morning to get ready for church, live stream, anybody snapping during worship this morning in the comfort of your home? You ever felt the words, the piercing words, harsh words from someone that you can remember from your even childhood and the way that harsh words and your tongue affects other people? You ever felt like you wanted to get the words back that just came out of your mouth that you know are going to be trouble in your marriage, trouble in your relationships? Men, you think about the words that you wish you had back to your wife, the harsh words spoken. Wives, think about the harsh words spoken or the repeated words spoken to your husband that you wish you could have back or to your kids because you've told them 17,000 times to turn off the light or kids, your disrespectful tone or the disrespectful things that you say back to your parents. The tongue is a problem. We come to James chapter 3 this morning. There's a Bible on the end of your seat if you need it. James chapter 3, we're going to be in verses 1 through 12. It's page 1012 in your Bible. So further back to the end of your Bible in the New Testament. A little background for James. We know we've been studying James for a number of weeks. And James is the half-brother of Jesus. And he's writing to a church in and around Jerusalem that's been scattered. And they've been scattered because of trial and temptation and tribulation that's come upon them. And we've 
James doesn't pull any punches. He just gets to the point. He's the guy that gets to the point, and he's done that. He's done that all the way through the book as he's called this church, these churches in this area of Jerusalem, even in trial and tribulation and temptation to trust God. He's called them rich or poor not to treat each other partially. And then last week, he asked and answered this question. If you say you believe like you should, why do you behave in this way? And this week, he's going to say this. If you say you believe, why does what you say doesn't show up? Why does that not show up in your life that you believe? So, let me read James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. You know, it's easy when you're in the book of Leviticus to say, does the Bible apply? The Bible's always relevant, even in Leviticus, but when you come to James 3, there's not even a whole lot of interpretation I have to do. The Word of God pierces and is relevant to our life today. So listen to it in this text. Listen to James. He's going to show us six word pictures. So I don't even have to come up with a lot of illustrations this morning. He's going to give six vivid word pictures for his audience around the tongue. Look at them. James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. He says this. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouth, mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large or so driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set amongst our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of our lives, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird or reptile or sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord, the Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing, my brothers. These things ought not be so. Verse 11, does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh water and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield its fresh water. So six word pictures from the tongue. And this is a vivid picture for the first century audience for them to understand how the tongue works. I'm going to show you three truths. Three truths this morning that we need to recognize about the tongue. And I'll just give them to you. First, the power of the tongue. Do you recognize how powerful your tongue is? Do you recognize how you don't really, at the end of the day, in and of yourself, have the ability to tame your own tongue? And last, what does the, the things that come out say deeper about our hearts? And what's God's solution to this problem that James actually doesn't answer in this text? We know the solution. So first, we need to recognize the great potency of our little tongues. That's the first six verses. Recognize the great potency of your little tongue. And the first example that he uses is for the teacher. Look at verse th chapter 3, verse 1. 
Not many of you should become teachers, brothers, for you know that those who teach will be judged with greater strictness. James is talking about himself, effectively. He's the pastor of the first church of the world in Jerusalem, so he's speaking about himself. What's going on in the church then is that there are a lot of teachers with one pulpit, right? And so a lot of people want to teach, to have that voice, to have the spotlight. It's interesting because in the first century, one of the problems with the Pharisees and the Jewish faith is they all wanted to teach. They all wanted to be in the spotlight teaching. So that's in view. There's too many teachers that want to get up and speak. But the problem with speaking is the more you speak, the more trouble you can get in. I know this. The more you speak, the more trouble you can get in because the tongue is speaking. But there's also in view likely in the first century there were false teachers as well. So you can get in trouble with your tongue as a Christian preacher, but you can also get in trouble with your tongue as a false teacher because you're teaching things that are wrong. How much application is that for me today, for preachers today, for you and your community groups as we teach our kids the truths of God's Word? There's a warning here about teachers. Not many of you should become teachers. This is a warning from God's Word this morning. There's a lot of gifted communicators today. There's also people who teach false things to people that move their lives into a direction that it shouldn't go, that pastors who, because of their tongue, set their churches aflame with dissension, and it ought not be that way. So he speaks really to himself and to teachers first, and then he says about himself, and he's humble in this, for we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man. So effectively saying, I'm not perfect. And I would say as your pastor, with my words, I'm not perfect. As you could say, as you could get up and testify about yourself. And then he uses three illustrations. There are two, the first two illustrations of the horse, you see it? The horse and the bit is the first one. The second one is the ship and the rudder. Those are neutral, those are neutral um, illustrations. Because you can drive a ship in the right direction or the wrong direction. You can drive a horse in the right way and the wrong way. But the third illustration is not neutral at all. It speaks about the tongue as a fire. I want you to think about these different illustrations that he gives here. Think about in the ancient days, if the people in the first century, if they saw a ship, ships back then were massive and they had sails. And so it'd be like the the, the eighth wonder of the world if you ever saw a ship in that day. And so James is speaking to an audience and go, man, that's an amazing thing. It's an amazing ship, but a little bitty rudder drives that ship and moves that ship one direction or the other. If you've ever ridden a horse, you know you've got to put a saddle on a horse, which could be from anywhere between about 10 pounds and 60 pounds, depending on what kind of saddle that you have. And, so, and then depending on how much you weigh, a horse can take weight. It can take weight. But you put that bit in the mouth and you can turn that horse any direction you want it to. And if you don't know how to use a bit, fun things happen. Right, brother? Sorry. So you've got ships. You've got a horse driven by a bit, driven by a rudder. And then you come to the third example here in verse 5 or verse 6. And it's the example of a fire. You think about how easy it is for a match to set a flame, a fire, when it's dry in Texas. But you to think about how much destruction can happen with a wildfire. And this is what he's saying about the tongue. As a matter of fact, when you look at the end of verse 6, your tongue 
can stain the whole body, not only your life, but setting on fire the entire course of life. The implication is it can affect other people around you as well. And I want you to look specifically at the last little phrase here. And set on fire by hell. The word we have, there's different words for hell that we have in the New Testament. But this word is Gehenna. And Gehenna, the first audience would know that this is a place on the southwest corner of Jerusalem. This is the valley of Hinnom. The valley of Hinnom in the Old Testament was the place where Israel, the people of God, began to worship not Yahweh, but the people of Baal. And then they even sacrificed their own children to Baal in this place. And so fast forward, all the Jews that are reading this know the valley of Hinnom is that place. And you know what that place was in that day? It was the city dump. It was a city dump where everyone, because they didn't want to use it because it was unclean. This is the place, a bad place of history in our country. And so they brought their trash there. And every day in Jerusalem, if you look to the southwest, you could see smoke rising. That's the vivid picture that James paints for his audience about the tongue. The tongue is like that place, the city dump. Strong words from James. You know, if you go to Austin, if you're driving from here to Austin, um, if you're driving to South Austin anyway, what you would probably do is go 290 out to Giddings and you'd go through Page and then you'd take a left on Highway 29 and go to Bastrop. And one of the most beautiful drives in all of Texas, I think, is about a mile little stretch there. State Park is on your right in Bastrop. You're almost to Bastrop. State Park's on your right. And between the median, there's these beautiful trees, and you're just, it's like Magnolia Lane in Augusta. It's this beautiful little drive. But if you come out of that on your left and on your right, what do you see? You see how a wildfire in 2011 destroyed 35,000 acres. It's the biggest wildfire in Texas history in 2011. $425 million worth of damage, 1,600 homes, over 1,600 homes were destroyed, 40 commercial properties, four people died in this time. See, the fire can set aflame our world. And this is what happened in the Bastrop fire. And if you notice when you drive to Austin, whether you're on 71, because it went all the way to 71, or 29, you know what you've noticed over the last 10 or so years? You've noticed slowly but surely those little pine trees are coming back. But I want you to think about how much time has elapsed. I want you to think about how hard it is for a wildfire to happen and then the forest come back. It's probably going to be another 10 to 20 years if you drove through there that you would notice that there was a wildfire there. You think about the way that we've used our tongues and our lives and the damage that it can do to the people around us. This is the picture that James paints. But remember those two illustrations that are neutral, the ship and the horse and the bit. So you have great power to use your tongue as well in a right way, to encourage and to build up as opposed to tear down. My wife and I met at TBRM. It's a Christian sports camp. And you go there as a college kid and you, um, you, you basically minister to kids. But you know, when you're not married, you've never had kids, what happens is men's really hard. And you've basically got to take care of 
little kids every week of the summer in a cabin and love on them. And there's a lot of hard things to that. And so by the nurse's station, Kristen, I don't know if it's still there, but there's this board of encouragement that coaches would have for one another. And there were many days I remember at camp where I meant I just needed a word of encouragement because this kid who wets a bed, it was driving, you know, that kid, you know, that's in your cabin and you just need encouragement. And so we had a a word of encouragement as a board where coaches or people that worked there could write a note to someone, just an encouraging handwritten note to someone. And I can't tell you how encouraging it was when you pass by, try not to pass by it too much to look like you're looking for something, right? Um, When you would pass by and you would see your name on that board and somebody said, hey, it was really awesome when God used you to do this with this kid or hang in there, I know you're having a tough week. Words of encouragement can build up the power of our tongue. So maybe a challenge for you this week, C3. We're living in a really tough time right now. It's a really tough time to to be encouraged with all the discouraging things that you see on the news, being cooped up, wearing a mask. I have an exception clause. Governor Abbott gave me an exception clause when I speak, apparently, that I don't have to do that. But it's a really frustrating time. What would it look like for you this week to write a note? A text is great. Some of you have never written a handwritten note because you didn't grow up in that time. To handwrite a note to somebody in our church, to encourage them, to lift them up, to be an encouragement with the tongue that you have. It's a challenge for you. And there's great power in our words. Men, there's great power in our words with our wives to speak tenderly and carefully to our wives. Ladies, there's great power in your words. Your husband may be tough, but he needs your encouraging words. To our kids, to encourage to be able to speak to them kindly, even if it is the 17,000th time that we've asked them to turn off their light. And kids to parents, to consider how you're speaking to your parents. God calls you to speak to them with respect and with honor. Our words are powerful. And then I want you to think about the tongue as it relates to somebody you work with and maybe the, the, uh, the workplace. Maybe the workroom, when somebody's not in the workroom, we're talking about them. When they're there, we're talking about somebody else. Think about how this translates to your work environment. Think about how this translates to your presence on social media. Because the tongue and the thumbs and the fingers are the same thing. None of us are contentious, right? None of us care more about our hot take than the person on the other end of it. Listen, we live in an age... We've got to be able to learn to disagree, to agree to disagree, whether it's about mask, whether it's about the way in which we engage politics, whether it's the way in which we engage racial injustice, which is real. Because oftentimes what we do is we take a principle of Scripture that's true and then we want to apply it in a specific way and then we tell the world, we tell the world, if you don't agree with this way, then you're wrong and you're also X, Y, and Z. That should not be. That should not be. I'm going to be careful with my tongue. I'm going to stop there. We need to be quick to listen. We need to be slow to speak, slow to anger. Chapter 4 of James is going to tell us, why do you have so many quarrels? Is this right here? So he's going to say, name it. Name it for what it is in your relationships at home, your relationships with work, on social media. Name it for what it is. Speak no evil about anyone. So, the little tongue has great power. 
James is saying you've got to recognize that. We've got to recognize that our little tongues have great power. He's going to say something else even stronger here. In verses 7 and 8, he's going to use the example of what? The wild beast. And think about all the different animals that you can tame. You can tame a tiger, kind of. You can take a seal, an elephant, a dog, a bird, a cat. No, not cats. Sorry. Can't tame a cat. Maybe you can. I can't. You can't tame the human tongue. That's what he says. You can tame the wildest of beasts, but you can't tame the human tongue. And so second, he's going to say this, and this is kind of hard, but it's really important to understand. On your own, we need to recognize you don't have the ability to keep your tongue in check. You have an inability to, left to yourself, you have an inability to keep your tongue in check. You need God to work in that. Before I came to know Christ, um, I played college golf, and the golf course, if you've ever played golf, no matter if you're good or if you're not, this is the test of the tongue. Maybe for some of you, it's social media. For me, it's the golf course. That's a test of my tongue. And I came to faith in Christ. I was living with guys that didn't know the Lord. And they just thought, hey, this whole Christianity thing that he's doing now, he's going to church, he's doing this, and he's doing that. That's going to go away. But one of the things that happened once I came to Christ was I wasn't the cussing sailor on the golf course anymore. And so those guys could see me read my Bible. They could see me go to church. They could see me talk. But when they saw a difference in the way that I talked or didn't talk on the golf course, that was real. But here's the the reality is, without Christ, you don't have the ability to tame the tongue. The power of sin in your life has not been broken. There's certainly the presence of sin in my life even today. But the power of sin has not been broken. And this is the beauty of the gospel. I don't have any good news for you about your tongue and cleaning up your tongue and behaving a certain way. But here's what the Bible says about your tongue and the gospel. It says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that Christ has risen from the dead, that he died, that he was raised by God. That's the beauty of the gospel, that he died in your place and he was raised. Then you have eternal life. Not only do you have eternal life, the power of sin that it has over you is gone. The presence of sin still remains until glory. And we struggle with that. So as a Christian, the Christian isn't claiming to be perfect. The Christian isn't claiming to be without sin. The Christian is claiming, I needed Jesus to clean me up. And he's still cleaning me up as a Christian until glory. So that's what he offers you. And if you know Christ and you're here today and you're saying, well, James is saying there's no ability to tame my tongue. See, when you come to faith in Christ, some things happen. Some things happen. The presence of sin is still there. The power of sin is removed. And the, and the Bible says that the Holy Spirit comes within you and indwells you and gives you power. And indwells you. You know what else the Holy Spirit does? The Holy Spirit fills you. As you obey and yield to him, he fills you for service. The Bible also has a couple other things to say about the Holy Spirit. And if I could say it this way, kind of some negative aspects of the result of sin in our life as believers with the Holy Spirit. One of them is that we quench the Holy Spirit. The idea of quenching something is in the Bible in 1 Thessalonians 5 is like you take a bucket of water on the fire that you have at your camping site and you throw water on it. 
So when you sin against God, what happens is you still know God and have fellowship with him, but it's like taking a bucket of water and quenching that fire that brings warmth and comfort to your life. And there's one other aspect, and it's in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28 and 29, and I think we have it here. There's the grieving in the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians 4, the context is this. Context is believers' lives with one another, the way we relate to one another. So he talks in Ephesians 4 about the gifts of the Holy Spirit that they have given to the church, but he also talks about our relationship with one another. So look at this. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. It's a great word. And do not, here's the connection, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And so when we hurt other people and we sin against other people with our words, what we're doing to ourselves is we're grieving, the Bible says, grieving the Holy Spirit. Here's the thing. The engine, the Lamborghini engine of the Christian life is the Holy Spirit. I know that makes some of you uncomfortable, but we're going to talk about it. In the New Testament, the Holy Spirit is the engine to your Christian life. So what happens, let me relate this to the tongue, can you turn that Lamborghini engine on if your battery is corroded? It's not going to turn over. And the tongue is like that corro- can be like that corroded battery that you've got to clean up so that amazing engine turns on and it empowers you. So, how's the tongue in your life, C3? I'm going to offer you another challenge. Maybe two is too many in, in, in one day. I don't know. Maybe you can spread these out. But you think about this. Mom and dad, don't tell your kids the day, all right? Don't tell them the day you're going to do this. Just do it, all right? And here, here, here's the challenge. For every encouraging word you hear from your kid, just mark it down. It's worth $10. For every discouraging, disrespectful word, that's $2. And you do that for a day. And be curious to know who's wealthy, who breaks even, and who is in debt in your family. And then kids, you get to do that with your parents the next week, all right? Who's broke, who makes money, and who's in debt? Might tell you something about your tongue. Try that on. Well, there's something else. If we don't have the ability to tame our tongue, why is that? Why is, why can't we tame our tongue? The problem is deeper. Look at it. The problem is deeper. Look at verses 9 through 11. And here's your point. We've also got to recognize the inconsistency of our words are an indicator of a deeper heart issue. So here's what happens. The tongue tattletales on our heart all the time. What's going on in the heart is actually what comes out of the mouth. Remember, that's what Jesus said. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so what's coming out here is actually an indicator of what's going on in your heart. And the Bible, when it speaks about the heart, is really speaking about the central place of life. And in the Old Testament, what we see about the coming of the gospel, the coming of Jesus and the new covenant... We see basically in the Old Testament, they said, look, you have a heart of stone. Think about that, a heart of stone, a hard heart of stone. And the New Testament says, what's coming is, Christ is coming and he's going to give you a heart of flesh, a beating heart. This is a central place in the Bible. 
But look at the words here in James chapter 3, verses 9 through 11. Look at it. With the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. The implication is, is we're actually cursing God when we tell somebody else that they're ugly or they're too short or they're too tall or they're too fat, that you're insulting God when you do that. But with the same, there's an inconsistency, right? We worship God, we raise our hands, and we smack our kid. And we talk to our kid in that way, sometimes at the same time. So there's an inconsistency, but that inconsistency points to something deeper. It points to the problem that's in our heart. Notice the two examples that I gave earlier, or James gives earlier, about the ship and the rudder and the horse and the bit. Does the rudder really control the ship? Does the bit really control the horse? No. You've got to go upstream. It's the captain of the ship. It's the person on the horse that represents the heart. So whether a person is mute or they have a glossectomy and cut out their tongue, does it affect it? You can still type. You can still sign. The heart is still affecting what comes out because it's a heart issue. You know, it's interesting in counseling world, when you go to counseling world, there's an illustration that's used, and it's a really great one. And that illustration in biblical counseling is really used to, to talk about how important our heart condition is in relation to what comes out. And so the illustration goes like this. There's, imagine a stream, a small stream, but a stream that has different tributaries that come off of it, downstream. And imagine a cow that's drinking and it's old in age and it dies right there by the water and it kicks over in the water, what's going to happen? There's going to be major problems with the water supply that's coming downstream. And so what happens in our lives is we live on one of those tributaries. Let's just say the tongue is one of those tributaries. Guess what's happening to the water that's coming downstream? It's being polluted by what's upstream. And so what we try to do sometimes is we just try to dam it up and put a dam over it and the water's still going to come through, but guess what's going to happen? It may dam up in that place, but guess what's going to happen over here? There's something else and all those other tributaries in the stream, it's still coming downstream. What we often try to do with our problems, whether it's the tongue or something else, is we try to fix the tongue because we think that's the problem, but the problem is upstream. The problem's upstream in our hearts. We see this with our kids and our kids' behavior. By all means, deal with the things that are demonstrating and showing themselves as a parent, whether it's the tongue or whatever it is, but know, parent, that there's something deeper going on in the heart that's really the problem that you want to pray toward, that you want to help your child understand that their heart needs to be shepherded. It's not just the behavior. You can try to modify behavior but at the end, it's the heart. It's the heart condition. And the only thing that fixes the heart, because we're just kicking the question back from the tongue. How do we deal with the tongue? Well, how do we deal with the heart? That's the beauty of the gospel. The gospel changes people's heart. And when the heart changes, it changes behavior. That's what we need to consider here from James. That we have to recognize that inconsistent words are an indicator of a deeper heart issue. So if there's stuff and junk in your life that's coming up, out of the tongue, it's deeper, it's in the heart. And that's where we deal 
with problems. So the tongue is a tattletale to your heart. The tongue reveals the heart. So the question is, what's your tongue saying about your heart this morning? I wonder if we might do this, and we often don't do this in the middle of a sermon, but I think it's appropriate for us just to stop for a minute and pray. In, the silent, in just the stillness of where you're at, I want you to think about the ways in which you need to come to God with your tongue, with your mind, and confess. And say, Lord, would you do a work in my heart to help me in the way that I speak to my kids, in the way that I speak to my spouse, in the way I talk about other people? If the church is going to be a tool for the harvest, if the church is going to be a light in the darkness, there's got to be something different about us that manifests itself in the way that we speak and what we do. So let's just take a minute. Let's pause and take a minute and go to God and ask him to help you with your tongue. Lord, help us with the things that we say. Help us with things that we think and things that we type. Help us be a people that are slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to anger. Pray that we would ask forgiveness today and often. And we say things that we know we're wrong, reveal in our hearts ways in which we speak, in which we act, out with our tongues, purify our lips by doing work in our heart, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, there's power, there's great power and potency in the little tongue. There's no way you and I in and of ourselves can tame the fire that is our tongue. And the, the tongue indicates a deeper issue in the heart. Let me close with this. In the year 2000, August 2000, in South Dakota, there's a fire that started. Over a thousand firefighters were involved in putting this massive wildfire out. After about three weeks, they finally got it out. 80,000 acres later, and they arrested a lady named Janice Stevenson. She's 46 years old, suspicion of starting the fire. She pled guilty, second degree arson, rung her up on $42 million worth of damages. 25 years she was given in South Dakota penitentiary. And federal investigators, when they met with her, 
and asked her why, she said she got out of her car on the side of a road August 24th. She lit a match on her cigarette, threw the match to the side, and she said she watched the match burn, and she decided to get back in her car and drive off. Pretty condemning. See, starting a fire requires little effort with our tongue. But it can burn down relationships. It can burn down church. It can burn down community. When the smoldering match of our mouths light a fire, what are we going to do? Are we going to look at it and leave it burning, or are we going to put it out? It's a choice we have every day. It's a choice you have. It's a choice I have. Let me ask you. Are you putting out the fire of your tongue? Through the Spirit of God working in you, you can put out that fire. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your word. I think of passages, there's so many of them in Scripture. Psalm 143, I'm going to pray this over us. Put a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Do not let my heart incline to any evil. Psalm 19, the words, let the words of my mouth, Lord, and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Lord, we pray that our mouths, we know that we all stumble, and we know there's grace that you give us to help us in our stumbling wherever we're at. We thank you for the gospel that gives us the means by which we can fight our own mouths. Lord, I pray that our mouths would be a fountain of life flowing out, a stream of fresh water that provides life for those who hear it and that lifts and exalts you up for who you are and what you have done. Father, we confess that we live inconsistent lives. None of us here can say, I've got my mouth in order. But we're grateful that you're a God who can tame the tongue. You're a God each day that we can come to when we mess up and you still forgive us and you still offer us your sustaining grace. And if we have to come to you every day with our mouths, we know that you are there to receive us and do work in our lives. In Jesus' name.